there. Hi, bitches. What up? I'm back again. Again. <gasps> again, again. <laughs> again, again, again. <laughs> Can't get rid of me now. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> We're uh, here again in the pod nursery. Yes. This is hot for justice. We won't, you know, podcast. We won't forget to say that this time like yeah. we usually do. Most times. That's Jessica. <laughs> and that's Jamie. Hey! <laughs> I almost said that's Jessica, but that's not true. I am not Jessica. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> I do get called Jessica a lot, though. Really? Yeah. Like, people, like, for whatever reason, will have a brain fart with my name, and they're like, Jessica. And I'm like, absolutely not. I get called Jennifer. A lot. Like, people will email me, even work emails, where Jesus my, Christ. literally my name is in my signature. People will be like, hi, Jennifer. And I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> Do you not pay attention? Yeah. Like, my, my work email literally has my first name in it. Yeah. And it's in my signature. Yep. And it gets bastardized every da- every fucking day. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, it's rough. Mine's not in my email. It's my just initial, but it's in my signature block. Yeah, kills me. Yeah, but you know, I think I've spe- seen every possible spelling of Jamie. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. And words that aren't even close to Jamie. You know, what's funny <laughs> is when I get emails. Sometimes. Um, potential students will address my like um, foreign international students oh, will no. address me as Dr. Penrose and I'm like I'm here for it oh yeah I get called Dr. <laughs> Jamie all the time or Dr. Zimmerman and I'm like sure <laughs> I'm here okay yeah I just don't correct them anymore right. pay, pay me like a doctor though God, I wish. <clears throat> I, but I, I couldn't do my doctor I could do it I don't want to it's a lot I'm a rephrase <laughs> <laughs> um yeah well it's because I do surgery scheduling so I'll get a call from a patient or an email, like, oh, I'm, sc- I'm supposed to be scheduling with Dr. Jamie. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think you want me cutting you open. <laughs> no, right? Fun fact, when I originally went to college, I wanted to be a surgeon. Really? And then I basically failed OCHEM. Yeah, I've heard that's rough. It's real fucking hard. Like, I literally got an email from my professor because I signed up for the second semester. Yeah. And I got, like, a C- minus the first semester. And he was like, yeah, um... I have two recommendations. Don't. One, either don't take the second semester, like find something else to take, or hire yourself a tutor. Oh, I was like, fuck you. Damn. <laughs> so I changed majors. And yeah, <laughs> I couldn't be a doctor. Nah. I, Wes and I were having this conversation, actually, because I was like, I would be like, hold on, I need to take out my calculator to calculate how much medicine to give you. <laughs> I would be constantly second-guessing myself. Oh, same. But... It's scary. It's scary business. Yeah, no thanks. Uh, no thanks. I'm like, I'll, I'll leave that to the people I schedule for. <laughs> yeah, right. For real. The qualified professionals. Hell yeah. Uh, you went first last week. I did. So I'll go. Right. So mine is a, a long in. You read a book for this. I did read a book. Guys, <laughs> this is a big deal. I read a book, however, <laughs> per my usual standards, <laughs> I did copy she and paste it. Oh, a lot. No, I read oh, the whole book. Okay, good. Okay. I'm actually looking at the book. I have the book in front of me. She did. I'm going to read it after her. Yes. Um, actually, the book was gifted to me by a friend of the show, Jackson Bishop. Thanks, Jackson. For my birthday. Dude, he gifts the best stuff. He really does. And actually, so he got me another book that uh-huh. went with this one, and it was Profitable Podcasting. Ooh. I know. We, d- we you guys, we don't make <laughs> Jack doing this podcast, so. In fact, we're losing money. I think, how many times can we say that? I don't know. <laughs> If you want to Venmo us, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Support the show. We'll start a GoFundMe. <laughs> um, so yeah, I read a book. <laughs> um, actually, I'm going to really quickly plug other things. Okay, uh, in it. my other podcast, I also read books. <laughs> Ooh, like Harry Potter books, huh? Just like Harry Potter hey. books, in fact. <laughs> I love Harry Potter. Actually, we should have you on one of these You days. should. You know, fun fact, for my 25th birthday, we went to London to the Harry Potter studios. That's actually really fucking cool. With me and all my friends. It was so fun. Like, literally one of the best days of my life. I would probably shit my pants. It was amazing! <laughs> we were on the bus and we were like, oh my god, I'm going to Harry Potter Studios! I, I really want to go to Harry Potter World in Universal. Me too. We should do that. Should Just take it on the road. Let's fucking go. Guys, donate, though. You have to donate. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, you know, this kid I went to high school with was actually, was dating um, the girl who played Luna Lovegood on, what? on it. They don't, they're not anymore, but yeah, this guy went to, he's actually like a model and a singer now. Yeah. What the fuck? He like glowed up from high school, <laughs> really, though. Like, he's the nicest guy. Um, but yeah, 
That's it was cool. just kind of crazy. So, like, I saw this BuzzFeed article one day, and it was, like, who they're dating now. Like, who right. this cast of Harry Potter is dating. And it was him, and I was like, no shit. You're like, I know this man. <laughs> we follow each other on Instagram. <laughs> That's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. But huh. they don't date anymore, so. Yikes. Unfortunate. Yeah, I know. Um, so the book I read for this podcast, okay. which, again, normally I do really poor homework. That's okay. Yeah. Wikipedia, probably. Probably. <laughs> um, so I'm reading from Murderpedia. Ooh. Are you familiar with Murderpedia? No, maybe I should be. So speaking of Jackson, he introduced me to, he's like, he's like are you familiar with this? I was like, hey, no. <laughs> uh, we should be. But so basically it's Wikipedia for serial killers. Ooh. Well, I mean, like just murderers in general. I'm here for that. Yeah. And it's like broken up by like, you can break it up by like gender like by like where they did it like mm. by their letter their last name like it's actually pretty cool interesting yeah because like i basically i could sit here and read you a hundred page book but i'm not gonna do that right so this is a more condensed version and it said it better than i can yeah <clears throat> so okay. that's why i'm reading off of this okay but it's a long one so buckle up buttercup okay okay we it's it's a doozy i'm buckled let's do this. oh good <laughs> Um, so the book was called the, I mean, it's still called that, I didn't change titles. <laughs> it's the Peninsula, Peninsula Serial Killer, The True Story of John Scott Dunkel. Hmm. So he is known as the Peninsula Serial Killer. Okay. <clears throat> Which peninsula? The, like, Bay Area Peninsula. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. <laughs> There's a lot of them. I mean, you're not wrong. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Okay. Uh. So he has been... Uh, three. Con- he has three confirmed victims, okay. and there are some attempted murders that he okay. also has. Uh, two for sure, mm-hmm. and he's actually also a potential suspect for the missing persons case of Kevin Andrew Collins. Do you remember when I did him a few weeks ago, or uh, actually a couple months ago now? He was the kid that went missing in San Francisco. The little kid. Yes, the little kid who the, you could see the missing persons posters in the Terminator. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do vaguely remember that. Which, um, also gonna plug that screen recap that we did. Yeah, do that. Watch, <laughs> read that. I mean, listen to that. <laughs> You're batting a thousand. Just ignore me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm gonna read this little excerpt from the book. Okay. So John Dunkel's a potential suspect for the missing persons case of juvenile Kevin Andrew Collins. Kevin went missing in San Francisco from an area near where Dunkel lived. Some believe that he lured him to the Golden Gate Bridge and pushed him off. Oh. Similar bodies are, uh, are swept away and lost to sea, which might explain why his body has never been recovered. Fuck. Yeah. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> wasn't so, he, like, really, like... He was, like, 9 or 10. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. So, this guy is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the too long don't read. He's fucked up. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so. <sighs> okay. So, it starts with the disappearance of John Davies. Okay. In November of 1981... Uh, when J- Dunkel was 21 years old, a close friend of the Davies, he was a close friend of the Davies family, and they lived in Belmont, California, which is uh, kind of near. Do you know where that is? No? I've heard of it, but I don't know. So it's like a very like rich community. I've, um, I'm not. I mean, I'm familiar vaguely with the parts of um, the Bay Area that my friends live in. <laughs> so this is like San Mateo County, if okay. that helps. Okay. Probably not much. No. But <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I was like, I could see the look on your face. You're like, bitch, what? <laughs> sure. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll go with that. Sure, Jan. <laughs> That's my favorite gift ever, by the I way. I know. It's good. Um, so he often visited the Davies residence and spent time with their 17-year-old uh, son, Mark, and his, his brother, John, who was 15. Okay. On the morning of Sunday, November 8th, 1981, James Davies, the father called police to report his son John missing. Davies and his wife Joan had returned home around 1.30 a.m. and notice, uh, had noticed nothing amiss. Uh, Joan had found John missing when she opened his bedroom door sometime after 8.30 a.m. Um, John had laid out his church clothes and had left behind all of his possessions, including his only pair of shoes. He only had one pair of shoes? So, in the book, it kind of com- talks about how he's like, kind of a particular kid. Okay. Um, and... Like, he only had, like, one pair of shoes at a time just because he was, like, kind of, like, quirky like that. Okay. <clears throat> oh, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, one of my best friends, her brother, for the longest time, was basically the same way. Um, so. <laughs> I wish I was because I have, like, 50 pairs of shoes. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being honest. Right? And, like, I'm sure we only wear three of them yeah. on a regular. Yeah. Probably. Like, I think 
my shoe collection could be condensed to literally my Birkenstocks. Maybe a pair Which of tan booties. Right I'm, yeah, I'm wearing the Birkenstocks right now. <laughs> uh, a pair of booties and maybe a pair of Uggs. <laughs> yeah, I keep buying heels and I don't know why because you I never don't wear them. And I don't go anywhere to wear them. See, I buy heels and then I can't wear them because that makes me taller than Zach and he gets really upset at me when I wear heels. <laughs> like, he looks at me and he just gives me a, a really disapproving look and I just. He, I, See, Wes does too, but that's because my I have a like messed up ankle, right? So I had surgery last year, and um, when I wear heels, I'm cling to Wes for dear life to make sure I, do, I don't I don't um, twist my ankle again because that would be incredibly painful. Yeah. Um, considering that my ligaments were taken out and cut and put back together, and Cute. it would hurt real bad. Yeah, and you actually need a second surgery, so I do. I'm having one in a couple weeks, guys, but I'm not going to be gone again, so. No, I'm going to make sure I take my happy ass up here and uh, make you record with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this um, surgery is going to be a lot less than my last one, so. Oh, good. Yeah. Good news. Anyways, continue. Uh, So he usually informs his parents of his whereabouts, and according to them, was not the sort of child who would be expected to run away. James and Joan Davies unsuccessfully made extensive efforts to locate John for several years after he disappeared. Uh, Soon after the disappearance, James Davies called the defendant. Uh, Dunkel. Mm-hmm. First of all, that's a fucking awful name. Mm-hmm. I, if my last name was Dunkel, I'd change that shit right away. Right. So derpy. Mm-hmm. Derpy Dunkel. Derpy Dunkel. <laughs> Episode title. <laughs> <laughs> write, write that down. Where the fuck am I? I'm awful at this. Um, oh, so he um, called him to come over and help post flyers describing John. He came over on the Wednesday or Thursday after the Sunday that John was reported missing and uh, left with some flyers. He never visited the Davies family again. In the book, they describe it as like basically like Scott Peterson, how he went and posted, looked for and posted flyers of his missing wife, even though he knew what the fuck happened. Yeah. So this kid went and posted posters of someone that he knew he killed. Dang. That's cutthroat. It happens a lot, though. People try to like stay under the radar. A thousand percent. But, damn, that's cold-blooded. Yeah. Like, because, well, and the book also describes that he, like, kind of didn't really want to go, but like, he felt obligated to. So, I mean, which also, like, makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> Dang. Uh, Mark Davies testified that before John disappeared, uh, John Davy or John Dunkel, that's annoying because, like, the kid's name Davies. is also John. Yeah. Two Johns. Yes. So, I'm just going to call Just-, just him Dunkel. Yeah. Um, Dunkel would come by the Davies residence in his white Honda automobile. If he came in the visit in the evening, he'd throw rocks at Mark's window so that Mark could sneak out of the house with, without his parents' knowledge. Um, John Dunkel and Mark Davies were really good friends. Um, I think he was 21 when Mark was 17. Okay. Um, they would sneak out and, like, you know, drink beer or smoke weed. Like, yeah. Um, they did, like, a lot of, like, LSD together also. Damn. Um, and sometimes John Davies would join them. Okay. Not all, not always, but like most of the time, John kind of just tagged along. Okay. <clears throat> um, they would drive to the Hassler Hospital off of Woodside Road and Highway 280 to explore the partially abandoned grounds. Mark last saw his brother on Saturday, the, November the 7th at around 10.30 p.m. when Mark went to bed. Mark never heard from uh, Dunkel after John's disappearance. Wow. It's like they were really good friends. And That's then so weird. Just, like, I mean, the family. dude, if you're going to try to get away with it, then at least, like, make appearances. <laughs> right? Um, Joan Davies testified that when the defe- uh, that Dunkel de- visited her sons, they would often sit in the defendant's car listening to music. So, like, during the daytime, like, they would just, like, you know, bop around and do dumb teenager shit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Initially, police theorized that John had run away. Belmont Police Detective Gerald Whaley contacted Dunkel in mid-1982 and told him that uh, where him and John liked to hang out. Uh, because the Davies family reported that the uh, uncle was John's close friend, Whaley uh, contacted him often to try to get information out of him. By September of 1984, the police were treating the disappearance as a possible kidnapping and contacted the FBI for assistance. Okay. Which I think it's kind of interesting that they waited so long to contact the FBI if they were having issues, because that was over two and a half years later. Yeah. When... Or t- uh, two years and like a couple months. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a long time. Exactly. With I guess in the eighties it was different though. Yeah, and the book kind of talks about that. They were like, oh, like they wanted to try to handle it themselves, and like they weren't sure if it was a kidnapping or if he was a runaway. Yeah. Because back then, like, yeah, that was a thing, and it was debatable. Right. If a kid, though, that like blows my mind though. If like a kid was thought to be a runaway, they'd just be like, oh well, they ran away. Yeah, like 
but it's sucks. still a kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't care if you're 15 or... 17. Yeah. Like, you're... You no. Know. Like, no. Absolutely not. But... Um... So, in the first interview with the... F- or, uh... So, Detective Whaley and the FBI agent, uh, Robert D- Dikinski? Mm-hmm. D- sure. Yeah. Uh, they interviewed uh, Dunkle two times at his residence near Sacramento, because he had moved to Sacramento to live with his sister and her sis- his sister's boyfriend, I believe, okay. at the time. So, he, like, noped out of Belmont real <laughs> Deuces. quick. Deuces. Yeah. A- after he killed this kid, he was like... He's not I- very sly. No. Not at all. Um, in the first interview, he said that he denied seeing John on the on the night of his disappearance, claiming he did not leave his parents' home that evening, and he denied ever throwing rocks to summon Mark or John or sitting in his car hmm. in front of the house at all. Okay. Uh, the second time he was interviewed, they probed the discrepancies between the Davies fam- family members and his accounts. Uh, he was empathetic that he had never thrown rocks, or that he had neither thrown rocks at the boys' bedroom windows or listened to music with them in the car that night. He also denied that he ever traveled with John to a hangout called The Morgue, which is on the hospital grounds. Okay. Yeah, so that's also extra creepy. The place that they would, like, hang out and, like, smoke weed is called The Morgue. Okay. Yeah. No thanks. So now we're moving on to the second murder. Okay. On October 2nd of 1984, around 7 p.m., Belmont uh, resident Margaret Turner called the police to report her 12-year-old son Lance missing from soccer practice. That day, Timothy O'Brien, which I believe was a neighbor or just like a family friend, okay. uh, had driven his two sons and Lance to the soccer practice at the fields behind Ralston, Interme- Ralston Intermediate School. O'Brien began coaching his team and did not see Lance again. He coached like, a good neighboring team. Okay. So like, they were off the same soccer grounds, but yeah. on the other end Separate. of the field. Yeah, okay. Right. Makes um, sense. So yeah, he never saw Lance again. Later, when practice ended, O'Brien asked Lance's coach, Ray Williamson, where Lance was, and he told him that Lance never went to practice that day. Several boys reported seeing Lance heading towards Water Dog Lake, about three-eighths of a mile from the soccer field. A search then followed. Hmm. William Russell arrived at 6 p.m. to pick up his son from soccer practice and then took his son home and joined the search for Lance. Around 8.20 p.m., he shone a flashlight onto some bushes in a gully off the path to Water Dog Lake and saw feet sticking out of the bushes. Oh... Lance's body was found under the overgrown brushes. That's awful. Pathologist Peter Benson, MD, testified that Lance had died from blood loss due to multiple stab wounds. <sighs> two wounds to the heart were each fatal. Two other wounds to the lungs were potentially life-threatening as well. There were numer- numerous defensive wounds to the arms and hands, as well as scratches, scrapes, and bruises. So, like, in, in the book, it talks about how he, like, really fucking fought for his life. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's so weird. Now that I have my own kid, like, things like this make me so much more like sad than they used to yeah like it It hits closer to home yeah it's yeah exactly because you can imagine it happened to your kid and I literally would die yeah like I would die it's awful um Stephanie Olson Kendra Durham and Nicole Gerthy students at Ralston Intermediate School at the time of the homicide testified that around 3 p.m. on October 2nd they had left school skipping volleyball practice and went down to the lake to smoke cigarettes a man whom Stephanie described as having dirty blonde hair, pimples, dirty teeth, and a retainer. <laughs> oh, God. I know. Yikes. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, no wonder he's a serial killer. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> You're not, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not at all. Um, the man approached them and started a conversation. He told them that his name was John and that he had graduated from Carl, Carl Mont High School the year before. He was drinking a beer from a tall Budweiser can and he offered some to the girls. And the book it talks about how like they each kind of took a sip and it was like warm and flat and they were like Ick. right <laughs> um and then in the book it also talks about how they like smoked a little weed with him and then like later dazed okay um the girls left after around 20 minutes another student saw a man with a dirty blonde hair near water dog lake around 4 p.m none of these witnesses asked were asked to identify the defendant in the courtroom Olsom, Durham, and Gerthy gave the police a description of the man that was incorporated into a composite drawing that was used in the investigation of the homicide um, in his confession to the FBI agents at a later time, uh, he describes talking with the girl shortly before he killed Turner. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Um, on December 27th of 1984, Belmont Police Detective Sergeant James Goulart uh, interviewed uh, Dunkel concerning the Turner homicide. He was by then the only suspect in the crime. Detective Goulart asked him of his constitutional rights. He agreed to talk about talk with him. Uh, he denied having, having been at Water Dog Lake on October 2nd, uh, claiming he had been at home until noon and then noon and then had gone to 
uh, some stores in Redwood, California, or okay. Redwood City, California, to fill out employment applications. From Sacramento? So at this time, he was back in Belmont. That's still kind of far, isn't it? Yeah, Redwood City is a bit of a distance. It's not it's not too, too far from Belmont, but it's, like, I think, within an hour. Mm-hmm. But that's still kind of, like, far to apply for jobs when you're, like, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and he came home by the bus at 4.30 p.m. Later, police contacts with those businesses turned up no, no such employment applications. Yeah. Because he never fucking did that. Right. <laughs> Uh, uh, January of the next year, in effort to gather information about the Turner, ho- Turner homicide, Belmont police officer Lisa Thomas began working undercover at the Sacramento Carl's Jr. restaurant where the, the defendant was employed at the time. Okay. So he ended up getting a job at Carl's Jr. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hashtag winner. There she encountered Dunkel several times a week. She regularly visited him at his sister's house where he was residing and sometimes went to a bar or a movie with him. He also um, spoke with Thomas about newspaper reports on the investigations at one point showing her a collection of clippings. So huh. it's not weird at all that he had all these like newspaper right. clippings from this you know, murder investigation from his hometown. Not at all. Not weird at all. Not, the, not even a little bit. Nope. Totally normal. <laughs> <sighs> and then you're going to show a girl that you think is cute? Like, right. what? <laughs> okay. He's not, not very brilliant. No. He's no Ted Bundy. No. And... Um, so in the book, it describes him as being mentally ill to, okay. an, well, to an extent. Yeah. Um, well, I'll talk about it more later, but okay. he, like, uh, in the book, it says that he se- describes it as, like, a computer in his brain huh. that would, like, that was, like, malfunctioning all the time. Interesting. Very. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Very weird man. Yeah. Um, I'd say so. February 9th of 85, uh, Dunkel had told told Officer Thomas that the police and FBI had been in his home for five hours confronting him and that they lied to him. Uh, he also maintained his innocence to Thomas, claiming that on the day that Turner w- was killed that he had gone to Red- Redwood City. Uh, he seemed impressed with the attention that he was getting from the FBI. Like, he thought it was cool that he was a suspect, basically. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, in May of the following year, uh, James and Joan, Joan Davies met with uh, Dunkel for several hours seeking information about John. He said that he had none. Joan Davies met with him again in, in July of that year, and he continued to insist he had no information. Huh. In September of 1986, Charles Rice uh, told Michael Wiley, a law enforcement investigator for the state of California, that the defendant had admitted to killing Joan Davies, or John Davies and Lance Turner. So Charles Rice was his... Uh, so at this point, he had gone to jail for uh, a burglary. Okay. And Charles Rice was his... Um, like cellmate, cellmate? Mm-hmm. Okay. and so they would talk a lot, and he would brag to him about Rookie killing mistake. these kids. Yeah. Yeah, it was a prison in San Luis Obispo. Um, hmm. It was a burglary conviction that um, was. Hold on, I'm so sorry. I lost my place. You're fine. Anyways, so. Uh, Wiley testified that Rice voluntarily made a statement asking nothing in return and insisted on trying to obtain further information from the defendant because he was appalled by the killings. Because, uh, basically, I don't know if you know, I mean, you probably do because, like, your mom kind of works in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, child offenders, like, are, like, the worst kind of offenders yeah. within yeah, prison. prison. So. <laughs> I took a criminal justice class and our teacher referred to them as chomos, and yep. that they would almost always, like, be, they, I mean, they would be targeted in prison. Yeah. Yeah. And so, if you killed or molested a child, like, you're, like, the biggest piece of shit. Yeah. Which, I mean, duh. You are. But, yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's just kind of funny to me that, like, other criminals would be like, uh, there's, like, a hierarchy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's shit you don't do. Yeah, so Charles Rice was just like, he's fucked up, like, I want him to, like, suffer. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty admirable. Yeah. All things considered, because if you, it's almost worse to be a snitch. That's true. It's, they're and, pretty much, yeah, in Yeah, in the book it talks about how he... Like, wanted to cooperate with the, you know, FBI, but he was, like, afraid. Right. He probably didn't want to get effed up. No. And, like I said, he was doing, like, initially he went in and he was like, oh, I don't want anything in return. I don't want, like, a reduced sentence. But then, like, once things got, like, further down the line, he asked for like, some favors. protect me. Right. Help me. <laughs> uh, bah, bah, bah. Uh, on September 22nd of 1986, Rice gave investigators two maps drawn by Dunkel of the crime scenes of where he killed both boys. 
A week later, uh, he met with Rice, who was wearing a wireless transmitter, and described the Davies and Turner murders in graphic detail. Um, he refused to report the crimes to the Belmont police because he didn't trust them. He said that he didn't trust the... He said he did trust the FBI, however, so Rice told him that he had a friend who was an FBI agent and could help him if he confessed to him. Prison officials arranged to find an FBI agent to take the confession. October 3rd of 86, FBI Special Agent Frank Hickey and Daniel Payne interviewed him at the state prison in San Luis Obispo. Rice was also present. He was advised of his constitutional rights and signed a waiver. The defendant stated that before killing John Davies, he was at Half Moon Bay with three friends, drinking whiskey and smoking marijuana. And then he drove to the Davies residence, parked a few doors down the street, and entered through an unlocked door. He went to John's bedroom and invited him to come drink beer with him. John agreed, went with him to Edgewood Park in Redwood City near the Crystal Springs Reservoir. Uh, John was wearing a black t-shirt, blue corduroy pants, and no socks or shoes. Again, his only pair of shoes were at home. Yeah, okay. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Don't forget. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Sorry, I lost where I was at. Oh, he parked near a shooting range, and then before leaving the car, removed a knife from the glove compartment. At that point, he committed himself to killing John. They walked a half a mile, two mile, and then uh, a half a mile to two miles down a dirt road. He then stabbed John in the back, sat on his chest, stabbed him in the throat. That's so awful. When he struggled, he picked up a large rock and struck him in the head. Jeez. He then dro- uh, drugged the body to an opening in the ground, pushed it in, and left the scene, later disposing of his bloodstained clothing. A week after the murder, he returned to the area and observed that the body was bloated and animals were feeding on it. In May of 1984, he returned again and observed a skull. Jeez. Um, when he was asked about a motive for killing John Davies, he said that he... When he drank beer and smoked marijuana, he became very aggressive. He also noted that John used to uh, cause a com- cause a computer monitor to flash irritating statements that he would observe, and that also angered him. Huh. He drew a map for the investigators illustrating where John's remains were. That's awful. Regarding the murder of Lance Turner, he stated that on October 2nd, 1984, he was in the process of moving from Belmont to, Belmont to Sacramento. On that day, he bought a six-pack of beer and went to work... Uh, went to the park, excuse me, near Waterdog Lake to drink. Around 2.30, after some three or so hours at the lake, he went to an area near Ralston School. He climbed a tree known as the Smoker's Tree and used his buck-type hunting knife to stab at it. Three junior high school age girls came to the tree looking uh, for a pack of cigarettes and dug up um, a matchbook with a distinctive inscription. The girls shared his last beer, and one of them offered him a marijuana cigarette. At one point, he saw a boy wearing athletic clothes and run down the hill. After the girls left, he stayed for another five minutes, and then as he headed back towards the dock, he saw the boy jogging to that area. To get his attention, he asked him what time it was. The boy said that it was around 3.50, and then turned away. As he turned, the defendant stabbed him in the side with his hunting knife. The boy struggled as the defendant stabbed him a second time, and then went to the ground and uh, compiled uh, with his command to put his leg down. I know. It's so sad. In the course of the struggle, the uh, boy hit Dunkel so severely on the thumb that he later lost his thumbnail. Jeez. He stabbed him again in the throat and yet a fourth time near the heart. Uh, the boy then appeared dead. He moved the body under some low bushes and went home. He disposed of the knife and sheath in his separate uh, places and discarded his shoes out of concern that the shoe prints could be identified. And actually, one of the investigators saw did see a footprint, but it wasn't like a complete one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I guess the shoes were never recovered. recovered so. so, yeah. Um, he correctly described a birthmark on the back of the boy's neck as well. Using a a map that he had drawn, uh, the Belmont police searched for his remains and found the items of clothing, bones, and a skull. A forensic pathologist who examined the skull testified that it was consistent of that with the young Caucasian male and bore evidence of blunt force trauma that could have been inflicted by a large rock. Mm -hmm. Orthodontist Stan Wolken compared x-rays of the patient, uh, his patient John Davies with x-rays of the remains, finding similarities between the two. On October 6th of 1984, the defendant uh, led investigators to a a field near Carmichael, uh, near a Carmichael residence, and pointed out the shrubbery where he had discarded the knife that he used to kill Lance Turner. With the help of a metal detector, investigators uh, found the the knife. Oh, wow. Okay. On two occasions in October of 1986 for 45 minutes and five hours repeated, uh, respectively. Psychiatrist James Missett met with uh, Dunkel at the request of the DA's office. Dr. Missett uh, read his constitutional rights, and the de- 
uh, Dunkel had waived them. He described having an interest in reading newspaper accounts of killings when he was in elementary school. He stopped doing so in fifth grade because homicides weren't a part of my everyday scene. Hmm. In the sixth grade, he became aware that he wanted to kill someone after watching a movie in which an older boy was able to kill a younger boy to prevent him from disclosing a diary containing references to other murders. Oh. Yeah. Um, about the Davies murder, he said, I thought to myself, you have to, uh, you've got someone out in the middle of nowhere, here's your chance to kill somebody. You've thought about killing before. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's obviously pretty sick. Yeah. After describing how he initially stabbed Davies, defendant uh, told Mr. Dr. Missett that he had pinned Davies down with his knees on uh, his shoulders, and when he was asking what he was planning to do, he said that he was going to kill him. He told Davies to scream all he wanted before stabbing him in the throat. He said he stopped to think about whether he wanted to go through with it before he picked up a rock and then hit him three times on the side of his head. Jesus. Yeah. It's fucking bananas. Yeah, it's awful. So... Uh, the this is now kind of trial stuff. Okay. So the prosecution introduced evidence that he had attempted in separate incidents to kill um, two other boys, uh, Steve Murphy and Monty Hansen, and he had also committed a third murder of Sean uh, Daniel. The prosecution also presented presented evidence um, that he had threatened to kill a jail nurse and when he was um, in prison for the robbery. Okay. So, um, here's the attempted murder of Steve, Stephen Murphy. Okay. On November 5th of 1982, 16-year-old Steve Murphy attended a party at a friend's house in San Mateo. Leaving the party around 11.30 at night, he walked to another friend's home. Uh, he said he was about 15 to 20 houses down the street. And then, uh, all of a sudden, he lost consciousness. He woke after daylight the next morning uh, near a large dirt area surrounded by trees. He fell unconscious again and woke up in a hospital, discovering that his spleen and a kidney had been surgically removed. Ooh. He had been in the next. He spent the next three weeks in the hospital with broken ribs and a broken pelvis. His injuries caused him to miss months of school. Damn. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, in October of 1986, um, San Mateo police officer Joseph Farmer spoke with Dunkel about the assault on Murphy. He admitted that he had been drinking alcohol at the beach before driving his car up the hill on 42nd Avenue in San Mateo. He saw someone walking on the avenue and made two or three right turns to encounter the person again. Mm-hmm. He deliberately ran over that person, put him in the back of his car, and drove to an isolated area in Belmont at the Marburger turnaround. He took the person out of the car and laid him on the roadway. He referred to the person as Steve Murphy, but didn't explain how he knew the the victim's name. Jeez. And he's never admitted to, like, knowing who he was or anything like that. That's creepy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And now the other attempted murder... In 1982, Monty Hansen, then 16 years old, often went out drinking uh, with Dunkel, like they were friends. Yeah. Um, on New Year's Eve of that year, he, uh, Hansen had invited him to come to a party at his house where his parents were away. Mm-hmm. He arrived shortly before midnight and appa- apparently under the influence of alcohol and told Hansen that he felt dizzy. He told him to drink some water and then went to the backyard to smoke a cigarette. There, he turned to observe Dunkel approaching him with a 2 by 4 studded with nails and a raised hand. He struck at Hansen with the board. One blow hit him in the head, but Hansen blocked the rest of the blows with his forearm. Uh, he says that Dunkel was smiling as he was attacking Hansen. <laughs> he then re-entered the house, and Hansen saw him put a knife back in the kitchen cabinet. Uh, Hansen screamed at him to get out and told him that he would kill him if he harmed his little brother who was sleeping in his bedroom. He ran towards the car, and Hansen never saw him again. Um, on February 28th of 1985, when doc- uh, Officer Lisa Thomas was undercover... Mm-hmm. Uh, she had told him a, a false story about her involvement in a hit-and-run accident, and he then told her how he had run over Steve Murphy and assaulted Monty Hansen. A recording of the conversation was played for the jury during the trial. Damn. Yeah. So now, the third murder. Okay. The third confirmed murder. Yeah. Uh, around 6 p.m. on July tw- uh, July 2nd of 1985, 12-year-old um, Sean Daniel, I, th- I think that's how it's pronounced, I'm not 100% honest. Okay. Um, he went to a friend's house in Sacramento. Um, riding on his bike. When he didn't return home by 9 p.m., his mother called the friend's house and then learned that Sean had left around uh, 7.30. His father and mother and uh, her husband uh, searched for him. His body was found six days later at Lower Sunrise Park, a board with a nail in it and a beer can around at the scene. Oh, wow. An autopsy revealed that the cause of death were two stab wounds to the heart, one penetrating a rib, caused by something thick, pointed, and dense, which was consistent with a, like a marijuana pipe. Hmm. 
Um, Sean had also suffered a perforating wound to the skull consistent with the nail embedded board. The, uh, there was insect activity in the facial and neck area suggested there was some sort of wound there. Yuck. Yuck is right. Uh, Sacramento detective Robert Bell questioned Dunkel on July 5th of 1985. He said that he didn't know anything about the missing boy, but he admitted that on July 2nd, he was on a bicycle trail at Lower Sunrise Park drinking beer with friends until about 8.30 p.m., and then he rode home. He claimed that a flat tire prevented him from arriving home before 10 p.m. Um, Anton Martinez and Paul Stanley confirmed they were um, on the bicycle trail with him at that day, drinking beer and smoking weed until they, uh, they left around sunset. Mm-hmm. After Sean's body was found, Detective Bell contacted Dunkel, who agreed to accompany investigators to the police station. Uh, he denied knowing anything about Sean's murder. Investigators drove him to his sister's residence where he was staying. He and his sister agreed to search the home. They found no evidence. He then later voluntarily returned to the police station to provide hair, blood, and saliva samples. The next day, uh, he showed Detective Bell where on the uh, trail that he had had a flat tire on his bicycle and where him and his friends had met to drink beer. He also assisted investigators in searching for the missing marijuana pipe um, and claiming, accompanying them to several smoke shops and finding the tool... uh, one that he said resembled the one that he had lost. On July 15th, uh, he telephoned Detective Bell to tell them that uh, Paul Stanley's blood might be found on the defendant's bicycle because uh, he had fallen and might have blood on it. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Um, In an effort to get him to confess, undercover narcotics officer Ronald Ghosh, posed as Ron Cross, left a letter at his house. The letter advised that Cross lived near the river and that police were pressuring him and he knew uh, what Dunkel had done and he would be communicating with them again. He gave the letter to Detective Bell. Officer Ghosh left another letter and called uh, Dunkel about four days later asking him to meet with him. He said that he knew about the board and the other stuff and wanted money or he would go to the police and give them the evidence. Adding that he needed the money to avoid his own arrest. He did not respond and did not appear where he had requested him to go. So he was like, I don't care. He was like, yeah, no, I'm not going <laughs> to. Do what you got to do. Exactly. <laughs> um, after he was uh, questioned about the Ron Cross information, he telephoned Detective Bell, upset at the course of the investigation. In the course of the conversation, uh, Dunkel had asked hypothetically what might happen if he had confessed to the crime. He also asked, hypothetically, that if he were at the scene and saw the victim screaming and took no action to save him, whether his inaction would get him in trouble. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it would. Uh, the Department of Corrections Sergeant uh, Michael Wiley took Charles Rice's report of the defendant's confessions on September 28th of 1986 in Wiley's office. Um, he had overheard uh, Dunkel describe to Rice, who was wearing a wireless microphone, the murders of all three boys. Uh, following uh, Dunkel's agreement to confess to the murders of the FBI, uh, Special Agents Frank Hickey and Daniel Payne asked him about the Daniel murder. Uh, Charles Rice was also present during this interview. He said that on July 2nd of 1985, he left his home around 11.30 in the morning and rode his bicycle to the park where he met an acquaintance, Anton. They bought some beer and went to Anton's house where another friend met them. The three rode their bikes back to the park and smoked marijuana and continued to keep drinking beer. He drank four tall beers and uh, three 12-ounce cans of beer as well. At 8.30, they parted and he rode his bicycle to a Vista Point. He saw Sean Daniel riding his bicycle towards Sunrise Boulevard commenting to Agent Hickey, I knew right, of the, I knew right then I was going to stop him and kill him. Wow. He chased after Sean, ramming uh, Sean's bicycle with his own. When Sean fell off his bike, he grabbed his arm and led him to a large tree. Sean cooperated, causing uh, Dunkel to want to humiliate him over his uh, pleas that he didn't hurt him. He forced Sean to take off his clothes and put, him in a, put them in a pile. A two-by-four laid in the area. He put it over Sean's eyes and had him laid on his back. He was carrying an electrician's instrument with a, pr- with a pick, which he thrust into his chest near his heart. Jeez. After Sean protested, uh, then uh, Dunkel had promised not to hurt him. He put a hand over his mouth and stabbed him again, causing the blade of the instrument to separate from the handle. Fuck. Uh, Dunkel then retrieved the blade, screwed it back into the handle, and stabbed Sean in his eyes. That's cutthroat. Yeah. Uh, he then rode his bicycle home, removing the handle from the pick along the way and discarding the pieces separately. What At home, he washed his clothes and buried his bloody socks in a flower bed near a library about three blocks from his house. He signed a written statement incorporating this confession, drew a map of the crime scene, and gave a sketch of the pick tool. 
And so he knew what he was doing. A thousand percent. Uh, he was convicted and then sentenced to death. Good. Mm-hmm. Yuck. Super yuck. What a terrible person. True grade A piece of shit. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. That's it for that. Okay. Well. Yeah. At least they caught him. Exactly. Because he uh, obviously would have kept, kept, kept going. going. Yeah. But yeah, like he like uh, constantly was just like, yeah, like my brain doesn't work. It's like a computer that like keeps flashing images and it, like, it just doesn't work right. It's fucking weird. <laughs> well, okay. So yeah, your turn. Hope, you, hope yours is lighter. <laughs> it's not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't involve children. Uh, that's, that's good. But um, it does... Yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> uh, this is the one I tried to do when we had that episode that didn't uh, work, right? Ah, uh, yes. The uh, the lost episode. Yes. Um, so this one is about Sherilyn Murphy. Um, it took place in September of 1994. She... Oh, wait, that's when I was born. Yeah, I, I was two and a <laughs> half. <laughs> You're a baby. Was there, is there a date? Um, no. Okay, just kidding. Because they don't know... Exactly when? Yeah. Okay, sorry, go on. She was living on Watt Avenue in Sacramento. Um, she was working as a prostitute at the time. Okay. She had relocated from Sacramento from, I believe, Washington, where her family, like, mostly lived, but they had, like, come back and, like, relocated in Sacramento. She left her apartment one morning. She told her boyfriend that she'd be back in a little while, and he never saw her again. I believe he had a roommate, too. And, oh, maybe not. Nope, just kidding. Ignore that. Um, so she left, never saw her again. October of 1994, so I'm not sure, like, how many weeks had passed, but obviously, like... Enough. Just, yeah. Um, a portion of her dismembered body was found on the banks of New Maloney's Reservoir. So the portion they're referring to are her hands. Ew. They found in a plastic bag washed up on the shore. And they didn't know who they belonged to. Like, they, there was no other parts of her body, right, found. They didn't even, obviously, like, know it was her. So this was, this um, New Maloney's Reservoir is near Angel's Camp in Calaveras County, which is kind of like hometown murder. Yeah. Um... It's about two hours southeast of capital city, Sacramento. So that's pretty far to go. You know, she, yeah. from where she was living to, like, be found in Angel's Camp. Um, I, I just had a really fucked up joke in my head, but I, I'm going to say it. Okay, say it. But just, it looks no, like someone caught those hands. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, mm, I thought about not saying it. Ignore, but we're like, laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Ignore that. <laughs> we have respect. We do have respect. We do. We do. It's just sometimes you have to. You have to make jokes about it. Okay. Um, this area, so, like, Angel's Camp is a really small town. There's literally two stoplights, one of which was pretty recent. So, probably <laughs> the time this happened, there was literally, it was a one-stoplight kind of town. Yes. Um, so, that makes it, like, it just, it's very odd that this type of violent crime would happen there. Yeah. Because it doesn't normally. Also, where she was found is in the outskirts of Angel's Camp in a remote forest area. So, it wasn't like it was in town or, like, near town. Or, like, it was near the lake, but it's remote. Um, the hands... It's it's interesting. I mean, people go down there, but, like, not really. Yeah. Um, and it's not... Certainly not somewhere you would go unless you're, like, a local. Or you know the area well. Um, so... December 1994, some kids were home from college. They were working on their family's remote property near Camp 9. If you're from the area, you'll know where Camp 9 is because, you know, people go out, like, drink beer, go swimming. It's like a swimming hole, kind of hang out because it is remote, so you can, like, go out there and you're underage. And Sounds like you've had many a wild night there. I actually have not, <laughs> but it was my, cause my mom would never let me go out there. She knew better. <laughs> um, I think I've been out there one time, like to swim, nothing hanky going on, <laughs> just so big. Um, anyways, most, like I said, most locals know about it. It's really beautiful in the summertime to go out there. 
but it is kind of creepy. Like, if you don't know where you're going, you'll get lost for sure. Like, I've been out there, and I can't even tell you now. Like, it's been so long. I couldn't even tell you how to get out there. Perfect. Now. Um, so, yeah. So, this guy named Chad, um, he was working on his family's property out there in December of 1994 when he found a dismembered female body. She was missing her head and her hands. So... I don't like that at all. Because they had found the hands two months prior, the, you know, obviously it doesn't take like a rocket scientist to figure (laughs) they probably go with this body. (laughs) Um, The hands and where the body was found aren't far from each other at all. Um, The coroner performed the autopsy on the victim and confirmed that the hands did belong to the body. Her cause of death was multiple stab wounds. Her head and her hands were removed post-mortem, thankfully. Her head has never been recovered. Holy shit. Yes. They did identify her, though. Um, County Calvers County District Attorney Investigator John Crawford worked really hard to find out who she was. Um, thankfully, they did find her hands. They were able to identify her using fingerprints, though it took, like, a year. Good God. He used the um, DOJ's, like, you know, fingerprint system. Yeah. And she was identified as Sherilyn Mavon Murphy, originally of Tacoma, Washington. She was only 24 years old. So, she was obviously, like, not local um, to Calaveras County. So, it's weird that, like, I mean, it's just weird. Yeah. Because if she was killed in Sacramento to drive two hours to a remote area to, like, dump a body. And it's nonetheless a remote area you wouldn't know about if you weren't familiar with the area. Because you will get lost out there. Like, it's... So, had it been someone that lived there. Yeah. Or was very familiar with it out there. Yuck. Um... They said, oh. like, her, she'd kind of fallen in with a bad crowd and gotten hooked on drugs. And, you know, she was, like, working as a prostitute. Um, and then she moved. That was before she moved to Sacramento. She moved to Sacramento, still working as a prostitute. I'm not sure, like, the drug situation. But right. her boyfriend and her ex-boyfriend were both interviewed and ruled out as suspects. So they literally have no idea who did this to her. Good God. It's still an open case. It's one of two in Calaveras County. They... You know, they never found her head. They, they. That's just, spooky. Yeah, it's it's nasty. Yeah. So, that's all mine. That's it's very Wowzers. short. No other information. Like there's there's a really good article from the which I use as my source, um, from Calaveras Enterprise. It's like a two part, and it goes all into like her family life and like her as a person. Um, it's. You know, I think oftentimes people are like, oh, well, she's, you know, they were a prostitute. Like, that's a dangerous job. But, like, you forget right. their people. And, like, so so what? Exactly. It's like, like I don't want to get, like, too, like, political or, like, weird or right. whatever. But it's like, oh, like, she put herself in that situation. Because, right. like, you know, it, she was a sex worker and whatever. Like, yeah. who cares what happens to her? But, but, like, she's a person. Yeah. And who cares? I mean, like. A job's a job's a job. A job. And we all have sex so <laughs> I mean, you're the one with a child so <laughs> oops <laughs> yeah so you know it's yeah it's just really sad um and it's such a thing to do to somebody yeah like cut off their fucking head like that's like you have to that's have personal s- that and you have to have a stomach for that yeah. like that's a lot of um that's a commitment yes so it's like not easy to decapitate somebody no it is not and they didn't comment, like, the about the wound. I mean, there's really not a lot of information about right. the body itself. But, yeah, it's Well, also if it was, like, washed up, like, it was probably... Well, the hands were washed up, but the body was not. The body was found out in the woods, but the okay, hands were found kidding. on okay. the river. But the hands were in a plastic bag, so I think that's, that's why weird. they could get, like, um, fingerprints off of them. Yeah, because like, I was like, oh, they might be, like, swollen or, like, weird, but... Mm. Yeah. I, I read they were, like, in a plastic bag. Ew. So. Yeah. Um, yeah so if you um, you know like we always say people who listen to us are normally like around our age probably we're assuming but and so you would either be not born or just born or very young in 1994 but your family wasn't so yeah and I mean that's literally right where you grew up too so it's like it's possible that someone that you grew up with is a fucking murderer right or like knows yeah knows but like even so some people might know something they just don't even think is related and yeah could be but yeah it was probably like a john who was 
familiar with Calaveras County and knew where, I mean, if you knew that you could dump a body and relatively not get caught, that's a good place to do it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Ugh. Remote. But yeah. Yikes on fucking bikes. I know. Well, do you have anything fun and fresh to share? <laughs> it's not fun, but I'm reading. <laughs> I mean, it is fun, but it's like not um, happy fun. <laughs> I'm this, hopefully. <laughs> reading The Killer Across the Table by John Douglas. It's the Mind Hunter guy. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about that. So good so far. I've only read like a chapter, but his writing is just so it pulls you in it's so good so i would recommend it. it's new it's like a 2019 book so it's not like mindhunter where it was written like 15 years ago right well actually so zach and i just started season two of mindhunter it's so so good good. (laughs) i know i i was on maternity leave when it dropped and i was like yeah (laughs) i'm all i watched it all in like two days though that was kind of a problem so yeah i think we're on the second episode it's good i feel like it's not as good as the first season First season's so fucking good, though. Like, it it's hard. is. I feel like it's hard to, like, top it. It is, but it's still a really good show. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so they go into the Atlanta child murders in Ooh. the second season. So after you watch it, we should talk about it because I have some thoughts. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Into it. Me too. Anyway, that's it for me. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, boo, 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 boo. We just finished the like most recent season of good place on netflix yeah that's good i, I like great i love Kristen bell she's my favorite i fucking love human. her so much so and jamila jamil is awesome too yes and ted danson i love him too <laughs> <laughs> it's, makes... a, it's a great show if you haven't watched it it's excellent it is it's a happy show yeah i don't normally watch shows like that I normally like Me shows with, like murder and crime and it's not that so <laughs> right <laughs> you need something happy something light <laughs> Um, yeah, that was really good. I don't think I'm really watching anything else new. Um, me and Zach, like, will get really drunk and watch, um, old Jeopardy. Because ah! they have, like, That's like funny. old Jeopardy on Netflix. Oh, really? Like, 1970s and 1980s Jeopardy. Dang. It's everything. I don't know if I could do it. It's, I I, watch the, it. A lot of them are actually, like, like, I'm like, oh, I know that. I know that. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> like, the questions aren't as hard, I don't think. That's funny. But yeah, yeah. So that's kind of fun to watch when you know they just need something on. True. Especially if you want to scream answers at the television, <laughs> like I I'll do. I love to do that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think that's all I have too. Um. We'll catch you next week yeah. for some new exciting. We gotta do it. Figure out what we're gonna do for a screen recap. It's been a minute. Yeah. If you have any suggestions, DM us or comment on our socials and yeah. let us know what true crime adjacent. Be active, Thanks. y'all. Yeah. We need some comment. Now I'm back. I want to hear your opinions and comments and suggestions. Heck yeah. And please go rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. And wherever you listen, please. it helps with the algorithm. Like a lot. Yeah. Pretty please. I actually, um, I found this website where it like kind of gives you like data. And we're actually like doing like pretty decent in true crime charts. Oh. Especially like overseas. <laughs> like Sweden and Denmark. That's cool. I don't yeah. know anybody there. Nor do I. So... <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Shout out to you. Yeah. Um, it really does help us, though, to rate rate us. On, yeah. And um, maybe we'll talk about, like, going through if you guys, like, leave comments or something and, like, picking somebody for a giveaway or something yeah. if y'all need some enticement. Yeah, maybe. How about this? If you write us a review once a month, we will go through the reviews. Boom. And we Choose. will pick someone to win something. Choose a winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah, so write us a fucking review. Yes. <laughs> Please. Um, tell us what you like or don't like, but, you know, be nice. Yeah. Because Jess is a new mom. Yeah, I'm hormonal still. I'll cry. Yeah. Or your boobs <laughs> might leak. I don't know. That too. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> um, yeah, right. follow us on social media, and we'll catch you next week with yeah. something new and exciting and fresh. Adios. Bye. Bye.